Does anybody know of Ted Bundy? <laughs> wow, okay. Last summer I heard about him for the first time, watched a movie about him, and found out more about him after, uh, more. So obviously people know about him. Uh, for at least four years in the 70s, he was a serial killer, killed a lot of people. Over 30 people apparently. He was, he's been described as a sadistic sociopath who took pleasure in, others people, in other people's pain. He was executed in the 80s, but just imagine, what if Ted Bundy was sitting in our church today? What if he had converted to Christianity and came to church? Would he be welcomed? <laughs> Probably on conditions. <laughs> you can't do kids ministry. <laughs> it is a hard question to answer, if I'm honest. And it's an, it's an extreme point that I'm trying to make, that the gospel, that, that Paul's vision for God's new community is that uh, hostile people coming together in peace and harmony, that people from different backgrounds and, and life experiences coming together in peace and harmony, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, worshiping together. And what we just did this morning by taking part in communion is a, is a reminder of the spiritual gathering together of all of God's people from all backgrounds and experiences and ethnic backgrounds and, and nations and tongues and languages and all these things. And we're reminded of that as we come together in communion. But for the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the people who comprise the church. What, what does the church look like? Who are the people that are a part of God's community all around the world? And the church is not a building. It's a people. We know that. There's a wonderful song, uh, old song, maybe from, the, I don't know when it was written. Uh, the church is not a people. Or, oh, sorry, the church is a, it's not a steeple. It's um, church is a resting place. It's not a resting place. The church is a people. We are the church. You are the church. We are the church together. All... All God people gather around the world. Yes, we're the church together. Something like that. Sorry. <laughs> Haven't sung that song in a long time. But it's so good and it's so true. So what, are the, what, is that, what does that look like? What does God's people look like coming together? It's not a building. The church is not a building. It's a people. So in this morning's passage, Paul shifts focus to, to specifically uh, look at the Gentiles. In the previous passage, he was looking at all people. He was talking to all of humanity and all, and all people who have become Christians. He's talking to both Jew and Gentile specifically in the last passage. He was looking at Jew and Gentile, and now he's narrowing in specifically in on the Gentiles. So this, uh, it, all Christians were dead in their sins and were raised with Christ, but now he's really emphasizing this to the Gentiles, to all people who aren't Jews. This, so this is about leaving their pride behind in order to have unity with fellow Jewish Christians. This is about having unity with fellow Jewish Christians. We're looking at the, in, at the context of this passage that we're looking at. The gospel is to transform every part of our, of our existence 
and it's to transform our vision for the relationship of humanity. It's to transform our every part of our existence, to transform our vision for how humans relate to each other. And Paul is showing that God's vision for humanity is a people comprised of individuals redeemed from every tribe, language, people, and nation to be, as it says in Revelation, a kingdom and priest to God. That is the, that is the, the, the picture that we get in Revelation is people from all over the world bowing down at the throne, uh, throne, at the throne of God, bowing down before Him, worshiping Him. And the point that Paul is saying is that you don't have to be a Jew to be a Christian. You don't have to be a Jew to be part of God's family. And he's framing this in temple language as well. So the New Testament vision for God's people is God's temple. We're going to look at that more this morning. I'm kind of laying out what, where we're heading this morning. So the Gospel vision flips everything that the Jews are expecting upside down. You, would, you Go back to first century uh, uh, Palestine. Give them a, a checklist and everything. Did you expect it to be a spiritual temple? Did you expect this Messiah to die on the cross? Did you expect these things? And it's probably going to be X. No, no, no. So really, the Gospel flips everything that they're expecting upside down. But it's still fulfilling the Old Testament. That's, that, that is the key here is that even though it was being fulfilled differently than what they were expecting, it did not go against anything in the Old Testament. Okay, let's turn to our text this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments, express and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, as we continue in your presence this morning, we're so thankful that we, we can be. We ask that you'd open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds to comprehend with all the saints what is the knowledge of God. Grant us grace to know, to understand your word, and help us to live in the gospel mindset 
as we think about your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Therefore, so as a result of the previous train of thought, here are the implications for what, what Paul just talked about. And again, Paul is narrowing directly on to the Gentile Christians. He's addressing both Jew and Gentile, but he's really narrowing in and trying to give the Gentiles, anybody who is not a Jew is classified as a Gentile. He calls them Gentiles in the flesh. Now, there's all sorts of implications that, go, that can go with that, but I don't have time to go into that. Meaning that they are God's people in the spirit. Uh, they, they are no longer Gentiles in the flesh. Or they are Gentiles in the flesh, but not in the spirit. But they are in the flesh. They, they were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So Jews were known as the circumcision because that was the defining mark of their covenant relationship with God. And they called the Gentiles the uncircumcision. It was almost a, der a derogatory term, almost looking down on Gentiles and, and saying, you know, kind of looking down their nose at Gentiles and, and saying, you're the uncircumcision. And there's all sorts of uh, baggage that comes along with that, implications that come along with that. Meaning that, oh, you're not, you're not part of God's people. You know, it's almost that we're better than you because we're the circumcision. Because that, that means we are God's people. He has a very intimate relationship with us. So he's saying, this is what you once were. This is what you once were called. And he's really building up into this, where he's going with this discussion. But the point is, there's a definite separation between these two people groups. Again, the term circumcision refers here to the Jews' relationship to God through the law in the Old Testament. And the key signifying marker of the covenant relationship was circumcision. So if a Gentile wanted to worship Yahweh, if they wanted to be part of the nation of Israel, what did they have to do? They had to get circumcised. They had to follow the law. They had to take part in the sacrifices. They had to do all these things if they wanted to be part of God's nation. So at a large scale, Gentiles were not part of God's plan uh, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. There were Gentiles that came in, and we actually see in Acts that there are, that there are Gentiles who, uh, they need the fuller picture. They, they, they're, 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 they have entered into the Jewish mindset, but they need the fuller picture, even in the book of Acts. So they, they jeered, the Jews jeered at them, taunted them, whatever, made fun of them, looked down on them on a large scale. They called them the uncircumcision because, as I said, they weren't part of God's covenant relationship. And actually, Paul makes clear that, that was actually that, that's the case, that that, that, was their, that that was their identity, that in verse 12 he says, to, to remember that you were in fact separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenant of promise. You had no hope. You were without God. Because the Gentiles were not Jews, they were cut off from the covenants. And really, ultimately, they were cut off from God. And they were cut off from hope. They were cut off from what God was doing in the world. They had no hope because they weren't part of the covenant relationship that God had established with, with the nation of Israel. 
and uh, they were separated from Christ. That's a very interesting phrase that he that Paul says that even in the Old Testament, Gentiles were cut off. They were separated. There was this chasm between the Gentiles and between Christ. Even in the Old Testament, that's a very interesting phrase. Paul says elsewhere in his writings, specifically, I think 1 Corinthians, where he talks about that Christ was that rock, uh, that, the, that, the, uh, that, that spiritual rock that the Israelites were drinking from. And he's using that for a very specific purpose. But my point remains that Christ was at work in the Old Testament. If, if, if Christ is an eternal being, co-eternal, co-one uh, being with the Father, then of course He was at work in the Old Testament. So Paul is saying that, that you were separated from Jesus Christ at one time. But the point is, God had elected the nation of Israel and He had made covenants specifically with them. And in general, Gentiles were cut off from Him. So this is a very hopeless situation for Gentiles. They're cut off. There's no hope whatsoever. If, if Yahweh is the God of the universe, and if you need to worship Him in order to experience salvation, but you can't reach Him, then you're hopeless. But verse 13 gives us that crack of light of hope. But now, this, this is very much almost a reiteration of the last passage, where the last passage was, you're all dead. You were all dead in sins, but now, God. So we're kind of getting that reiteration here again. You were without hope. But now, through Christ, Gentiles have been brought near through the blood of Christ. What were they brought near to? They were brought near to God. They were brought near to the commonwealth of Israel, to the, the covenants of promise. They were brought near to God, to Christ. Now, how have the Gentiles been brought near? In verses 14 to 16, Paul writes that Christ is the one who brings peace. He brings peace, who has made both Jew and Gentile one, and he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He did this by abolishing the law of commandments that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body to the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility. In Jerusalem, where the temple was, where the Jews would go and worship, there was a, a large wall separating the Gentiles and the Jews. So the Gentiles were not able to go into the inner court and even into the Holy of Holies. There was that wall that was separating Gentiles and Jews. And so Paul has in mind here, Paul has in mind this wall in Jerusalem, but he's using it in a very metaphorical sense. He's saying that there was a spiritual wall between Jew and Gentile. And actually, uh, on this wall in, in the temple, there was an inscription written in both Greek and Latin. It, it did not allow any foreigner to go in. If any Gentile went in, if any non-Jew went in, they were subject to the penalty of death. So just think about this, um, this crazy amount of separation between the two, the hostility between these two people groups. Uh, 
you know, think about this space right here. Uh, don't go over there and don't go over there. Uh, and so that, that's, what, that's, what Paul, that's what Paul is talking about here is this separation between the two and it's marked out by a wall. And he's, he's, he's trying to cast their mind to the, that, that wall in, uh, in Jerusalem to, to try and accentuate, to emphasize the fact that there is a spiritual wall between the two people. So the physical wall in the temple, it was a physical sign of the spiritual barrier. It prevented a large-scale amount of Gentiles from becoming members of God's people. And even in Acts, when Paul, I, uh, Paul took Gentiles into the temple, but he didn't take them past that wall. But he was accused of taking Gentiles, and that's what the Jews were trying to get him for, uh, was, was breaking that, that law, that commandment. But now that, that spiritual wall has been broken and Gentiles have spiritual access to the Father as we read uh, in verse 18. But we're not quite there yet. One scholar notes that Jesus broke the spiritual hostility between the Jews and Gentiles by abolishing the law as stated in verse 15. The law was always a shadow of of greater things to come. It was never the end goal. That was never what God intended for the long term, for, forever. What God wanted was hearts that were like God, who didn't need to be told what to do, but knew what to do because they were like God. That's what He always wanted. But He had instituted it for the nation of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. He was bringing them out of one nation and establishing them as their own nation, as an independent nation. So any nation needs laws. And, and there was a theological point to it. It wasn't just, here you go, you're a nation now, here are some laws. There's a very theological reason for it. It was to reflect God's character in the world. To be that shining light among the nations. But we know that from Paul in Romans, he says that, that Abraham was justified by faith apart from the law. And that circumcision was a sign of God's faithfulness to him and his offspring. That's what these things were pointing towards was, was uh, this covenant agreement between the two parties. And, and, and that's, just, that's a whole big other conversation that we could have. But what, what Paul is saying here is that uh, the law has been abolished. He, he wrote in, in Galatians 2.16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but, for, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law... No one will be justified. So the law has been de facto abolished because really it's, it's redundant. Uh, Jesus himself said, I've come to fulfill the law. So he's fulfilled it in our place. And, and we read other places that the Spirit has been given. So in Galatians, we have been given the Spirit so that we may walk in the law of love. That's the new law that Jesus has instituted. 
And in every situation, knowing how do we love our neighbor? How do we love God in this situation? How do we love our neighbor in this situation? That's what, that's what God wants from the law. Paul wrote in Colossians about the Gentiles that God has made us alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now going back to verse 13, as we look at verse 16, the Gentiles have been brought near with the Jewish Christians to God, thereby killing the hostility between the two. It's almost as if the hostility was alive and active, and Jesus killed it on the cross and brought together the two people groups. So verse 16 says, I mean, the Jews had a good reason to have this hostility. The Jews hated the Gentiles. They had a long history of persecution at the hand of the Gentiles. Just look throughout the Old Testament, look uh, like through the, at the, uh, in the time of the prophets, in the intertestamental period, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There was a lot of persecution that was going on towards the Jews. And when Jesus comes on the scene, they don't even have an independent nation. It's the Romans that are in control of the nation of Israel. So there's a really good reason that they don't like the Gentiles, that there's this hostility between the Gentiles. And it would have been mighty hard for a group of people who had been persecuted by another group of people to be at peace with them in community. Think about after World War II, when you had Germans and Jews, Nazis and Jews coming together I bet it happened, and I, that, that is just a wonderful picture of what's going on here. It helps us think about, that's what Paul is talking about here. You were, if Nazis came to Christ and Jews came to Christ and they came together in this beautiful moment of forgiveness, that is what Paul is talking about here. Bringing peace together where... where Nazi Christians, former Nazis who become Christians and Jews who become Christians coming together in the bond of brotherhood, breaking bread, drinking the cup. That is a wonderful picture. And that's what's going on here. In verse 17, we read that Christ came and preached peace to the, both Gentiles, those who are far off, and Jews, those who were near. Just, just again, reiterating that the Gentiles were separated from Israel. But the point is, both needed the gospel preached to them. Both needed to hear the gospel. Both needed the full picture. This is showcased particularly in the Gospel of John, where Jesus was interacting with a Samaritan woman. Well, first of all, it was crazy that he was interacting with a woman. Uh, but also a Samaritan woman. You know, he's really breaking the, the societal boundaries there. But a Samaritan was not a Jew. And he was talking to her about the new, the new coming age. He was talking to her. And even in Acts, we see that the kingdom of God was preached, always preached first to the Jews, but then they rejected it, and they always went to the Gentiles. There's this interesting thing that in Romans that talks about because the Jews rejected the Messiah 
it's gone now to the Gentiles. There's that interesting uh, piece of information there that we have to kind of wrestle with as well. But the point remains that for both Jewish and Gentile Christians, that's, that's the key here. They're both coming to Christ. There is peace. There's harmony between these two parties. We have, we have individual peace with God. There is no longer hostility between me and God because of Jesus. But that really, um, that also plays out in our society. There's a harmony between us and God, between myself. But the ideal vision for Jewish and Gentile Christians then is a relationship of harmony, no longer having hostility toward one another. So really, I'm going to emphasize this more next week. The gospel is more than just me and Jesus. The gospel actually wants to transform how humanity functions and works together. The gospel is all-encompassing. It's more than just our individual relationship with Jesus. It really transforms society. I'm going to emphasize that more this next week. But through Christ, we, both Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father through the same Holy Spirit, as verse 18 says. So the Jews weren't given a different spirit, and the Gentiles weren't given a different spirit. They were given the one. And that shows you that they brought together in harmony, together, to access the Father together. As a result, we, the Gentiles, are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So, Gentile Christians comprise the one people of God with Jewish Christians. And uh, I would be so bold to say uh, those who were born again in the Old Testament era that comprise the one household of God. That's what he's talking about here. Because there's the apostle, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and, and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. Apostles represents the New Testament era. Prophets represents the Old Testament. All people who have been regenerate, born again, brought into God's family, make up this one people of God, comprise the one people. And they come together in the foundation of Jesus Christ. So all Christians make up the household of God with the foundation built upon the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. He brings both Jews and Gentiles together into one house. He describes it as a structure in verse 21, which is being joined together it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This means that this temple is, it, there's, there, there's life in this temple. It's growing. It's becoming bigger. There, it's not a static thing. It's not, just seat, it's not just planted in one place, this temple that, that Paul is talking about. It's growing. It's moving. It's active in the world. Both Jew and Gentile Christians are being built together into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit being made God's dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So everything relating to the Old Testament essentially is obsolete now. The physical temple, the law, the sacrifices, these are all obsolete in light of Christ who fulfills the law 
is the temple and is the sacrifice. The church is God's temple. It's His dwelling place here on earth. And so we have, all of us here have the same access to the same Spirit, through the same Spirit, to the Father. This is alluding again to the fact that Gentiles, or, yeah, pardon me, Gentiles could not go in to the Holy of Holies. They were separated by that wall. But now that spiritual wall has been broken, and now Gentiles can go in to the, uh, uh, into the presence of the Father, into that special presence. For we know that God's presence was never limited to the temple, but He limited His special relational presence by way of the physical temple. This was to show His relationship. He had a very special relationship with Israel because He wanted to plant His... This is, this is how you have access with God on earth in a special way. He's showing His relationship to His people by planting His temple in the middle of them, in the midst of them. But now we, we come to the, to the Father through the same Spirit. As one scholar notes, in this new temple there is no fence or wall that separates Jews and Gentiles and limits the axis of the latter. It doesn't limit the axis of Gentiles. I like what this next scholar says. These former outsiders, Gentiles, are no longer foreigners and aliens, but they are full members of God's people and God's household. They do not just have access to the presence of God, they actually constitute the temple, the very dwelling place of God. That is just, I love that. All of God's people come together and comprise His temple. We are the temple. We are God's dwelling place. That means that God shows us His favor. We are in a very special relationship with God as His temple. And, he, and Jesus spoke about the new temple, that it would not be limited to the physical temple. He was spe- when He was speaking to that Samaritan woman, He used temple imagery to speak about the dawning new age, saying that neither in Jerusalem or on this mountain will you worship the Father. You, the hour is coming and it is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So it was necessary then, in A.D. 70, so this, Paul is writing this letter about A.D. 62, and a few years later the, the temple was destroyed. Now there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of significance to that in God's plan of redemption. It was a judgment on the Jews for rejecting the Messiah and, and, and the destruction of Jerusalem and all that. It was judgment. But it was also vindication of Jesus for, saying, for calling Himself the true temple. And for all Christians and Jews who became Christians, that it's vindication that they made the correct decision. They made the correct choice in following Jesus, in following this, you know, this odd guy. <laughs> It was the correct thing to do. And so the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. And it was destroyed because God's presence is found wherever there are Christians. Uh, Wherever we go, God's presence is with us. His special relational presence. And and, and so as Christians, we aren't going up onto a mountain. That's That's how they would go up onto the temple and worship their gods. We're almost together 
ascending onto that mountain spiritually together as we go up and worship God. But we're, it's this interesting spiritual reality that we're entering into. We enter into the Father's presence by the Holy Spirit who has sealed, who has sealed all believers going back to chapter 1. That means that we're always in the special presence of God. If we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, we're always in that special presence. It's as if we were back in the Garden of Eden again. When God walked with Adam and Eve, He was beside them. They had a special relationship. And we're, we're regaining that kind of relationship with God once again. We're regaining that close fellowship again with God. So, this is new creation language once again. I've been emphasizing that a lot through Ephesians. Paul believed that the new creation had started, but it wasn't completed. So the temple is being built. It's not finished. It'll be completed when Christ returns and completes this new temple, when He gathers all His people together, and every believer has been part of the temple. John, in Revelation 21, saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And again, this helps us understand heavenly places from the last passage where I was kind of wrestling with, what does it mean that we've been seated in heavenly places? It means that we are part of God's temple, that heaven and earth are intersecting. There's this overlap between heaven and earth. The temple, it was never about a physical building. It was always about God bringing all of creation back to Himself, into relationship with Himself, uniting the, the people from all over the world with Himself. So we, anticipate, we, we participate in new creation realities by being God's temple now. It's not about the building, though I do appreciate beautiful church buildings. It's one of my weird hobbies, is taking pictures of old country churches. Um, it's always about the people that make up, that, that, that uh, are in the building. And this hurts me to say, because I love beautiful church buildings, but we could have the ugliest building, but it, and it doesn't matter because it's about the people that come together and are worshiping together. So the gospel is good news for all people. For God so loved the world that He sent His Son. It's not limited to those who are Jews. Essentially what Paul is saying, you don't need to become a Jew to be part of God's family. The law and the physical temple are no longer a necessary way for us to interact with God. It was a shadow of something much greater. For Christ fulfilled the law, is the temple, and is the sacrifice paying the debt according to the law. So this is the Gospel revealed. Many people groups coming together in harmony. Many people from different backgrounds, experiences, people that have hostility with each other, coming together in harmony, reflecting the diversity, the universality of God's people, mirroring what the full, complete new creation will look like. We'll have people from all over the world in the new creation, worshiping together. It's going to be so totally different from what we're used to doing. We're going to have people who won't stop dancing and singing. And the Mennonites will be saying, no, 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 stop that. <laughs> it's, it'll be okay to dance in the new creation. 
So this may be controversial to some, and I'm okay with that because it's good to offer a different perspective on these things. There's only one people of God, and all the covenants made with the Jews in the Old Testament have been fulfilled in Christ. And the New Covenant is the only covenant that is relevant to all Christians. The point that I want to emphasize though, this is my point, is that the Gospel is for all people. God wants people from all around the world to become His temple, to build this spiritual temple. That's what this is about. His dwelling place on earth. We're going to continue with this theme next week as we uh, head into chapter 3. And we're going to think about... Uh, we're going to think about the issues that are going on in our world today and how this relates to us in the 21st century. God's desire for the church is to bring people who are at odds with each other into peace with each other. Think about somebody like Ted Bundy who could very well be brought near to the blood of Christ and into fellowship with any of us. Everybody has a chance to be part of God's temple. Anybody can be brought near to God. Lord, we thank You that You have brought us near by the blood of Christ, that You have sacrificed Yourself on the cross and You broke down that hostility between all people, that all people through the Holy Spirit can come together as Your dwelling place. We thank You for that. Help us to welcome others into Your community into your new creation community. Help us to love each other. Give us wisdom as we do that. It's hard to know how to do that sometimes, Lord. How to be at peace with one another. But you call us to that. Help us. We praise you that you are our one foundation. That we can come as we are. That you're transforming us to be like God. Thank you for that, Lord. Do, do transform us. Make us more like Jesus. That we would be the shining lights among the nations. Lord, bring, bring people into Your fold. From all around the world, we want to see Your Spirit moving and at work and bringing people into Your new community. In Jesus' name, Amen.